Peace, peace. Alright, I guess we're we're rolling now, yeah? Is you rolling? Alright, we're rolling there too. So what's good, folks? I'm your host, Daniel. I'm here with Gladys Wengeshi. Uh the homie Eric Trill over there on the boards, managing the sound. We got the homie Jimmy A T and Adriel Jimenez in the back, just cooling it. Um, hopefully gonna listen into this cool conversation. Um Gladys is an author um and an entrepreneur. She has written There's the Truth and Then There Are Other Things, which is such a very interesting title and also a very true statement. Um, and Gladys also got a new book coming out very soon, um, which you should pre-order off her website. Um, it's titled, I'm Not Allowed to Explain, parentheses, uh, only foreshadow and reminisce, close parentheses. Yeah, actually that one is out already. Oh, it's out? I'm out of it, so it's not available at all. Oh, okay. <laughs> but I will be re-releasing it, so that's all true. That whole thing is true, yeah. So pre-order the re-release yes. ASAP the Mundo. Yes. Um, so yo, you know, we don't even have a name for this podcast yet. Mm-hmm. Um, we're debating it and we're going to do a little thing where like at the end of like, maybe like episode four, we're going to come up with it or some shit and we're going to do like some funny stuff or whatever. Yeah. Um, cause coming up with names is a very hard process. Uh, I am also an author. I'm not published mm. like you, my friend. Um, and I have changed the name at least 30 times. And I just texted this dude, Adriel, the other day, asking him, like, yo, bro, what you think of this title? You know what I mean? Um, so could you, ex- like, how'd you how- explain the name, the title? Mm. I'm not allowed to explain, only foreshadow and reminisce. Mm. I have, like, my own observations, but, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Okay. I want to hear from you. Want me to go you. first? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that book, that's my second book. Um, I It was about a lot of times in my life where... I knew something was happening. It was like this flashpoint in my life where something was aligning, if that makes sense. Like there's several timelines and at that moment they're meeting. And that's where a lot of the poems are coming from. But I also know like I'm not allowed to say it right now. I can't say it. You're not allowed to say it. I can't say it right now. Right. Because if I say it, someone's going to get in. um, Someone's going to get in trouble. Yeah. It could be me. It could be my mom's. It could be somebody. But. (sighs) I also know that by the time I can say it, it's going to be like, it's going to sound like I'm being nostalgic or something. By the time you say it, it'll, um, even when I'm rhyming about the future, I'll be reminiscing. So right. That, that J. Cole line. Yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. And it, but it's also like, I can tell you what's going to happen in the future because I know, because I can foresee it happening. But yeah. it's going to sound like I'm telling you about the future. Like, I can tell you about the future. I can tell you about the past. Yeah. But I can't tell you what's happening right now. Even right. though it's all the same information, I'm just releasing it at different times. Okay. Does that okay. make sense? So. Yeah. That is that is on that is on par with what my observation was okay. of the title. But like I, I wanna ask a little bit more because you you mentioned first like being allowed mm-hmm. and then you mentioned trouble. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, so who like who is not allowing in this situation? Mm-hmm. Is it is it you or like What's going on? Ooh, there? There's a lot of people. Um, I think so. First of all, I think the book is me just doing it and being like, I'm not letting anybody give me permission or not give me permission. Um, a lot of it, a lot of my experience. So I was undocumented for a really long time. Um, just got my green card. 21 years being undocumented. Um, Let's go. Finally, finally made it. Um, and at the time, being undocumented, a lot of what they tell you is like, where are you from again? I'm from Kenya. From Kenya. I'm from all right. Kenya. So um, being undocumented, a lot of that experience, like you're not allowed to say it. Like you're not allowed to say you're undocumented. Or like that was the culture. I think now it's changed a lot. 
but um, you're not allowed to say you're undocumented because that can get you in trouble and get your family in trouble. Yeah, um, yeah. And even if the ways wow. that you survive as an undocumented person, you're not allowed to release that information because if the government finds out you're surviving in that it's way, clipped. it's illegal, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's like even the ways that I survived being an undocumented person, like I couldn't even release those things until I got my green card. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? When I was safer. Um, yeah, yeah. So. so is the book sort of like a commemoration? Not a commemoration of the fact you finally like you asked your green card. Or no, something? it has nothing to do. With All right, bad, bad, bad. Good, good. <laughs> it, has a, it has to do with other things. Yeah, um, yeah. A lot of it is like uh, relationship drama and just sure. going through things in relationships that it's like, dang, I'm learning a lot, but I can't apply it right now. Mm -hmm. Or like me being in situations where I'm like, I'm gaining a lot of wisdom, but like right now I'm in the trenches and it's not applicable to nothing except that I know this is wisdom that will be applicable later. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Applicable wisdom. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's something I I've I have um debated often. I I dropped philosophy in college because mm -hmm. at a certain point I felt like I got everything I needed, especially in terms of applicability. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? If I could start my own college, I would teach philosophy very differently. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But like now I kind of give my observation because this is sort of like what I learned or what I what I observed doing philosophy, particularly like um, Wittgenstein um, and like these are like language and mind guys. Right. Okay. And like I observed they, they came up. This dude came up with this crazy ass argument for sensation language. Mm -hmm. And it, the, the conclusion is basically like we're embodied creatures like we have an embodied consciousness. Yeah. And part of his analysis essentially begins from like the quote unquote mind body problem. Mm -hmm. And so when I saw the words foreshadow and reminisce, mm -hmm. I immediately kind of thought of that quote unquote problem. It's not really a problem. Mm -hmm. It was just be say more about that. It was just be complaining. Um, like the mind body, it's like the the mind muscle, like the mind muscle connection. If you if you work out, you know about that, mm -hmm. right? But um, you know, you're we we generally I think experience the world in such a way that um sometimes it feels as though our own consciousness is separate from our right. body yes you know what i'm saying yes, um, I agree with that. and i find a lot of people they don't say it but the way they speak i'm like i feel like that's you're speaking with that premise in mind mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying um but but back to the title here yeah the foreshadow and reminisce what i realized was that our minds I have this crazy theory that the consciousness is a fourth dimensional object, mm. I, but I don't want to get too, too nonsensical. Consciousness is a fourth dimensional object. Yeah. Okay. It's the only thing like observable to us that yeah. can time travel. Okay. You know what I'm saying? Only, only your mind can think forward mm -hmm. and think backwards. Mm -hmm. Your body is always in the present though, yeah. Yeah. and your body is always consuming sensory experience like presently. It, from your skin mm -hmm. to your eyes yeah. to your ears, you know yeah. what I'm saying? And it, like I feel like that's the separation mm -hmm. because we're we're presently existing, mm -hmm. but our mind is wandering. Yeah, that's you know? true. I was actually thinking about that today because a lot of that book too was like a lot of like disassociation, right? Damn. It was like going through experiences and being like, for me to survive this, I cannot be present in my body, right? And like Damn. putting a capsule in my head and being like, I'm saving this for later because I cannot access it now mm -hmm. because my body is under threat. My mind is under threat. So I have to sort of save it 
Um, and I also knew when I was going through a lot of things, I was like, I'm writing a book in my head. And unfortunately, <laughs> right. So like, that's where the, the consciousness yeah, yeah. comes back to the body is like me writing the book mm -hmm. because I could not live those two things at the same time as they were happening. Absolutely. You know? So yeah, I mean, a lot of what you're saying is definitely resonating with yeah. why I wrote the book. Writing has that like weird part where it really is, um, when you, when you write, you kind of enter that in-between space of like forward thought and reflection as well as like present mm -hmm. being present you know what i'm saying yeah. that's the one time like we're all time and space and your experience right. kind of collides yeah it collides yeah for you sure. know what i'm saying i wanted to ask um i forgot what the question was but like yeah it was you said you were writing it in your head mm -hmm. um cuz i i feel like i've experienced that as a writer yeah. and i, I hate it sometimes cuz i feel like the, the cuz then you're not present yeah, 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 yeah. I hate yeah. that because it makes me like I live inside my head and I write everything out in my head, but then it's like I'm, I'm missing what's happening right now. But yeah, yeah keep going. What What is the I was saying? What's the process of What was the process of writing this book? Mm. Was it different than the process of the last one? Like, um, so. So currently, right now, I'm working on another book. Shit, I, I'm working I, on a novel. Novel. Ah, um, let's go. Listen, novel gang. And I'm I'm stressed about this novel. I'm like about halfway in right now, like 300 pages, like narrative. Right? God damn. Yeah, I didn't even. I, I only got 300. I literally, I wake up and I write. I was at writing club today. Like that's my whole life. I just write. Um, mm -hmm. and it's all about the same thing. It's all the same story, right? The first book was like, I just need to document that something happened. I'm still alive. That's the first book. Yeah. Okay. You're still alive. And I also couldn't, I think the first book, there's a truth and then there's other things. I couldn't be specific <laughs> because once again, people were going to get hurt. Someone was going to get hurt. Maybe I was afraid I would get hurt. Right. Second book, I was like, okay, there's less pictures. Now it's words, but I still have to use poetry because I don't want to be too specific. Um, and one of my, one of my peers, I don't know, I'm going to get in trouble for saying this, but one of my, <laughs> uh, you're not getting in trouble with me. um, I need to stop being afraid of being in trouble. But one of, uh, one of my favorite writers, um, named Javier Zamora, who just wrote his memoir right now, it's like on the New York times bestsellers or whatever. But one of the things he said was that if you write poetry, um, technically it counts as fiction. So anything I write as poetry, I can't get in trouble with <laughs> legally. And you can't, I cannot Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's fiction. Right. So um, the first time I tried to write, because I tried memoir, I've tried all these things, essays, creative, nonfiction, whatever. But I was like, oh, if I write it like this, there's like repercussions. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was like the second book, I was like, I still have a lot to say. It has to be poetry. OK. OK. okay. So wrote it as poetry. Um, and so now I'm writing it as like the actual story beginning to end. But it's like it's still fiction because it's still like, oh, yeah, I don't yeah. know how that's going to feel. Um, but yeah, so the question was about like just the process of writing the second book. Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of it like had been written in like journals and stuff. Like I had been like when I was going through whatever I was going through. A lot of it honestly was tweets. Like I feel like I was tweeting, first of all, <laughs> tweeting crazy. Um, and I was like, okay, there's something here, but I'm not committing to it. It's like, like you had an idea that you were kind of yeah. like you were poking at it, but you didn't want to. And I didn't. And tweets are easy. You can just get the tweet off and then, you know, people like it. People don't like it. You don't have to commit to the whole idea. You don't have to think through the whole thought. And you also don't have to feel the emotions that come with it, if that makes sense. No. Can, can you explain that? Actually? Yeah. So instead of me like sitting there and processing things that were happening in my life, I could just make like a funny tweet, like a self-deprecating tweet or yeah, like yeah. a political tweet that people are going to be like, oh, my God, that's true. Without me actually having to think about like what are the con like what happened to me when I was experiencing this thing. Mm -hmm. Right. So I was tweeting a lot. But and I noticed like. 
I was like looking back at the tweets and like shout out the tweets. I love tweeting. I actually gave up Twitter. <laughs> but I was like looking back at the tweets because it's separate from yourself. You're like, oh my God, am I okay? Like it's, that's yeah, a lot. Yeah. You know you, what I'm you saying? You kind of look at yourself as your own therapist. For yeah. A it's like because you can see it. You can see like what's going on because it's outside of you. Whereas before it just lived inside of you. And I was like, okay, but what would, what would happen if I actually like took these seriously and like dove into them as concepts mm-hmm. and like actually wrote them out? Um, so that was like the mm-hmm. second book. And then like, yeah, and I've always wanted to write like a long form novel Um, and whether or not this novel pops off or not, I feel like just the experience of writing it will be useful for whatever I want to write later because I've always wanted to be a writer. Yeah. So even if this novel, I think I'm doing it a lot for me, but if I get to like, let's say this novel either pops or doesn't pop, I will know how to write a novel by the end of this. No, actually, yeah, I agree with that. Like, um, I think I'm one of the few 23 year olds who finished the novel right you finished congrats uh, that's a huge thing thank you thank you i appreciate it now we just got to get this shit on on the on the shelves right Uh, that's the whole like that's a whole other thing yeah yeah Yeah. that's the 2023 project man you know but you know and it's sort of i i I know what you mean because the hardest part is structure Mm -hmm. like figuring out where the hell you're going and what you're doing Because yep. you be having all the like the pieces like mm-hmm. like it's like scattered brain like art like because mm-hmm. I did the same thing not with tweets but it was um I would write sketches of like scenes mm-hmm. like um I had a teacher tell me like oh these these are like vignettes like, yeah right little, little things which are fun but... you know what I'm saying they're fun right but it's like you said you had to like poke through and like objectively see the ideas from the mm-hmm. distance to then like put them together yeah you know what I'm saying um what was do you want to share what the underlying thread was that kind of help you piece them all together? In my and with the tweets and stuff. Um, I mean, I was angry. That's what the that's what I realized about myself. I was like, I'm really angry. I'm um, also an angry person. <laughs> what are about that? No, but I mean, I feel like I'm less angry now. But um, and I I always saw myself a very smart person, very intellectual person. But I realized is that I was intellectualizing a lot of my feelings and I wasn't feeling them. And I was like, just because I'm naming that I'm angry doesn't mean I'm dealing with my anger. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was like, and also it was it was on the internet. It was like record of, you know, people <laughs> seeing it, you know. Um, and I think people enjoyed them for the most part. Like people would tell me like, oh my God. People love anger today. though. Yeah. Like, and, the, the internet is a, is a hot yeah, for that. And it was entertaining and I was really snarky and sarcastic. And I at some point I had to realize like, yes, like that's a vibe and that's an aesthetic. But like, do I want to be a sarcastic person? Yeah. Like do I, and I'm a teacher. Um, at the time I had gotten married and it's like being snarky and sarcastic is not the best for building relationships. It's not mm-hmm. the best for like rebuilding relationships that I had to rebuild. So I was like, I need to change the way I speak. Yeah. You yeah. know? And so I, sometimes I find that smart people, like in your case, those are the ones you don't want to piss off. Cause like I don't want to get your sarcastic burn. Like somebody else, like I'd be like, oh, whatever. Right. Like yours, I feel like, oh damn. And no, I, I was that mean, was bro, and I was, and I was mean to myself. That's what it was. It's yeah, like I was yeah. speaking that way about myself, and that's when I noticed. I was like, no, nah, I gotta change that. So. And intelligence has that weird like feature. You, an individual, could rationalize anything. Yeah. Any emotion, any action. Like if you're smart enough, you could justify it. Yeah. Even if it's like a very poor justification. A hundred percent. That was my whole life. <laughs> <laughs> Justifying bad choices. But. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but um, also I was going to say, I think part of the, yeah. one of the other major things that put it together was, I think, um, because it is like auto fiction, right? It's about my life. 
mm-hmm. at the beginning of the story, I was a very specific person. At the end of the story, I'm very, very different. Very ambiguous, very vague. Yeah. And also just, I, I think we think that we are specific people. Like, I'm like this. These are my values. And then when you notice that you've changed dramatically, yeah. you really want to know how you changed. So it was really me just like tracing myself and be like, how did I end up here? Um, and that was really just my, that was the interrogation. That was my project. It's like, how did I end up here? That's, That's what I was writing about. Yeah. Do you feel like, because um, I had the same experience actually in writing the book. I realized the power of anonymity mm. in terms of the, the key to switch was, oh, I can, I can make everything up or mm. I can also say I made everything yep, up. Yep, <laughs> yep. And then people really can't tell the difference. It's true. You know what I'm saying? Um, and beyond like, oh, people can't tell the difference. Creatively, yeah. the actual product is insane. Mm-hmm. Because then you're working with both your real life as well as just the imagination. Yeah, what you want your life to be. Yeah. Oh. No, it's great. Fiction With fiction, you can tell the truth. You can tell the truth as fiction. And yeah. people will accept it. But if you say it's the truth, people will doubt it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So That's crazy. Fiction has a lot of like space for mm-hmm. truth. It's a funny thing because people hate to be convinced. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, nobody wants to be convinced. Yeah, I'm not yeah. preaching. Like, that's the thing I had to tell yeah. myself. Like, I'm not trying to convince nobody. But the truth is there if you're looking for it. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? So I- I've always said, you know, I've, I've debated this with like philosophy professors. And I wanted to throw a book at them. Mm. Because like fiction has this weird, shut up. Don't look at me like that. <laughs> Like, I am the way I am. You know what I mean? We're podcasting. It's all natural. I want to know what the what the look was. Yeah, Why did you look at me like that? But, um, nah, because we be talking about it. Oh, yo, are we good? Is it still? I, I, I think I got to come up closer. Um, but what was it? Um, the, the, I, the, I, and honestly, it's not just like philosophy professors. I feel like a lot of people misunderstand the idea of subjectivity and imagination mm-hmm. but i don't even want to like dive into yeah, what other people think <laughs> you know what i mean um but i remember it's sort of like fiction is a simulation mm-hmm. if you have an idea or like a concept or if you have a, a, a vision of reality yeah what you do is you run it through that simulation mm-hmm. because in a story like real life only so many things can possibly happen yeah. you know what i'm saying like um, it would make no sense if if someone like walked out into a rainstorm in yeah. a book and didn't get wet, right? Unless they had magical powers, right? right, right. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. now it's a whole different story. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I feel that. So you're saying fiction as a genre, like, as a writer. You're talking about fiction as like a writer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah no, yeah. I feel that you can invent so many things. I mean, there's so many things I have ideas for that I could never create, but I can put it into a book where it exists. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? That space exists in fiction. Yeah, which is yeah. really cool. Do you ever feel as though your words are enough? It's <laughs> a very deep question. What do you mean to myself, to the world? Like, I, I guess because um, to both because okay. and, and this is also another question I guess too because we kind of this weird thing happens when you make art because mm-hmm. it's both private expression mm-hmm. but like public object. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the sense where. You could have all the intentions in a piece you want, yeah. but everybody's still going to have their own opinion. They're going to interpret it however they want. Yeah, Adriel taught me something about that, actually, because Adriel says, I don't actually have a purpose for the art or like I don't have a meaning. People can just project whatever they want. And I was like, what? Like, I have a meaning. And if you don't get it, you're wrong, you know? <laughs> but now I'm like, 
it leaves so much room for, first of all, freedom for you as an artist mm -hmm. to just say what you got to say for whatever reasons you need to say it. And it also allows people to, um, I don't know, it, it allows there to be like generosity and peace between the people who are consuming the art because they can take it however they need to without you feeling like, oh, I was forcing you or preaching to you about this thing. But the question about are the words enough? I think my words like definitely like comfort me. I think my words definitely comfort me in the world where I think there's limited comfort, you know? Mm, in a world where there's limited comfort. Yeah, I can't count on anything else to comfort me except my words. Um, okay. Which is also just like the way I speak to myself, not necessarily like what I write for others. I write for myself a lot, um, but I can, like you were saying, you can, you can justify anything when you write. Mm -hmm. And for me, I can build a world where everything is fine. And I love that. Yeah. You know? That's funny. I, you know, one of the original, we talked about names on the podcast. One of the original names was the World Builders Podcast. I think that already exists. Mm -hmm. But you talk about, um, you said the world, you said the word building. Am I mistaken? Did I say the word building? What, like, what did I say? Yeah, like you said the word, like, you could, it was like, create, like, build a world. I don't know. It was, I might yeah. be projecting now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you could totally build a world, for sure. Like, I agree with that. Okay. No, I mean, sort of like, okay, okay. Because... That's what you do when you write a book. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? You yeah. you take the words and you construct an alternative reality. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's truth, regardless of whether people believe it. Like it, because it's written, it is the truth of the world. You know, it's a lot of power. Explain that because it's written, it's the truth of the world. I mean, if I said, uh, how do I explain this? Um, she she fell off the stairs, but she wasn't hurt. Like. If you fall off stairs, let's say, you could probably, get, you're probably going to get hurt. Yeah. But if I say that she was not hurt, she wasn't hurt. And you have to believe that. Oh, my Because Lord. I just, I wrote it. That's just the truth of what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah. I also think that there's this freedom that I learned. I'm taking a writing class right now, like a novel class. And you can also have multiple realities exist in different characters. Like, let's say I have my truth, but then I can have a character who has a different truth and they are in conversation with each other. Let's say mm -hmm. they uh, represent different philosophical concepts, mm -hmm. right? And that way you don't have to choose one. Like my world doesn't have to be ruled by my own philosophy. It can also yeah. be countered by others without making it seem as if the reader has to choose one. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Like whatever you believe as a reader, you can gravitate towards that without me having to force you to choose. Yeah, yeah. You know? Do you feel like that position as a writer, do you enjoy a certain level of neutrality? I think I'm starting to lean into it. Okay, you know, I think before I was a very political person. I was like, this is right, this is wrong. Um, this is what I need to be safe. And if you guys don't do that, if the rest of the world doesn't conform to that, that's wrong. And I, I hate you. But Ooh. now I'm like, you know, that's I was strong. I was very like strict in my politic. I study politics as well. So, yeah. um, but now I'm like, there are complicated truths. You know what I'm saying? There's it's nuanced, nuanced truth. Hell. Yeah, there's mad nuance. And I have to allow, if I want this book to have the impact for others, per se, if I if I want others to have an impact with it, I have to allow for them to see that nuance in different moments and mm -hmm. not just like in this overarching message that I'm like feeding them. No, no, I understand, you know? I understand. That's crazy. Yeah. I guess, so part of the reason why I had initially asked the question too, was like mm -hmm. are pictures, are words enough? Mm. Um, Cause I, I feel this and I wonder if you feel this. Yeah. Like, Words are often ineffective mm. because it's like, you know, you'll, you'll have an idea. You don't yeah. know how to say it. Yeah. You get what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah, I feel that. Um, is that, 
Is that why you use also like you include because your first book Had was images. a yeah it was yeah. multimedia right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Yes. No, that's a good point. Um, I agree with you. There's def- I see I see very clearly. My imagination is very strong. Interesting. So I can imagine things really well. Like um, I just be having visions, and I sometimes I have a hard time articulating that vision. Like if I put it into my notes, like let's say I have a really cool dream, and I write it down, it's hard for me to describe everything that I need in that dream. Mm-hmm. Or I saw in that dream. Um, I also think I wonder sometimes if this has to do with like living between multiple languages and like, oh. do I not know enough English words, or is it that there are some words that exist in like Swahili or Kikuyu that I don't know how to articulate in English, or mm-hmm. is do I, I didn't study English, I didn't study literature, so maybe there's a concept for the thing I'm trying to describe that I don't have. Yeah, um, yeah. but I do see very clearly, and I, because a lot of my my work. Currently, I definitely want to go into like made up fiction, but currently because it's like based on experience, I remember the feeling of the thing I'm trying to describe. So I try to like fall on that, like what it feel like. And then, I mean, that's a whole thing, trying to describe your feeling. Yeah. But you, you you kept referring to your like imagination mm-hmm. as being very clear and mm-hmm. you having a very clear vision. Yeah. Um, how'd you do that? I don't know. We were talking about people who see color and people who see sounds and stuff. I don't know. Um, I just think I'm a very visual person. Like, you know those people who can um, convince themselves of things or how do I explain Delusional it? people? Yeah. That's me. <laughs> Delusional. That's me. Um, I, can, I can create any experience in my head. Yeah. And I can feel it viscerally. Yeah. yeah. You know? It's that mind-body connection. I yes. Talk. It's that mind-body yes. connection. Yeah. Um, so in some ways, it's, I, I can disassociate as well really well, which is, you know, unhealthy. But mm. I can also create, like, um, scenarios. And, like, before, I would do that and I would hurt my own feelings. Type vibes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You'd be mean to yourself? Yeah. And I would create a world where it's literally based off of, like, hypotheses and based off rumors or based off insecurity. Just just pure suspicion yeah. and whatnot? Yeah. And now I'm like, why am I doing that to myself? So now I'm like, why not create a better and a sweet world for myself? So I, now that's that's what I try to do now. No, no, I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. Do you um? Do you consider yourself a generally positive person? Now I do. How? Because I'm. I currently like 2023 marked yeah. a new phase in positive thought in my life. Okay. Thankful to my all my friends I'm happy, here. Happy to see it. You know what I'm saying. How did you, I guess, in some sense, like, yeah, how did you accomplish more positive thinking? Um, did writing have anything to do with that? A hundred percent. The toil of writing is like excavating your soul. Like you have to do it and it sucks and it, it sucked to write. Like there's there's things that I write and I look at it and it's like, I can't believe that was living inside of me and I let it live inside of me. Um, but there's a lot of them. It's hard. It's not that I, I avoid writing. It's that there's so much of it to do that it feels tasking yeah and it's also emotional i can't do it all sitting down yeah you know i'm saying i have to take breaks i have to give myself like one of the things i do for myself is i do pleasure reading like for altair i'm the new like pleasure reader i read like you want to give a quick shout out yeah shout out altair book board uh 2023 uh um yeah, so I just read books with happy endings because <laughs> I need that. Like, yeah, funny you know, enough. and it helps with my imagination too because yeah. if you can't imagine a happy ending, I think for me, um, if you could surround yourself with like negative, sad, you know, mm-hmm. um, sardonic tones in your life. So, um, but I really had to push myself and not only be like 
there's like toxic positivity too where it's like oh my god i'm gonna ignore the bad stuff that's the delusional yeah there's positivity going delusional for sure and that was definitely me too for a while but then it's like i have to do both i have to like excavate the bad things and also like replenish with the good things and until like it's more positive than negative do you feel like it's been a constant um like teeter-totter like Mm -hmm. like just a constant balancing act yeah so the way that i think it worked out in my life because i think i grew up generally positive i think my parents loved me a lot they gave me a lot of care a lot of direction um i think i fell into a situation that started off you know mostly okay then was kind of bad um and then it became really 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 bad and i was in the trenches um and then i started leaving like the situation changed and like i was out of the situation but then i was fucked up you know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think what happened and I was talking about it to myself about this the other day. It's like it's almost like different parts of my life were dying. Yeah. Right. And but they never all died at once. But there was a point where most of them were dead. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So but luckily for me, there was a time where it never it was never everything dead at once. Nothing so, was. Yeah. Yeah. So I was able to like revive myself until you had, a lot of those things came back to life. You had like, how do I put it? You still had seeds left to grow. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not all the garden was destroyed. Even though, right, and I had to really, like, replenish a lot of that. Um, And that took a lot of time, and it was very foreign to me because I had never gone through that. So it was a lot of confusion. Like, what's wrong? You know what I'm saying? Like, did I do this to myself type vibes? But it's like, no, it was just a cycle of something. Yeah, yeah, Um, yeah. But it, it definitely did take a lot of waiting out that cycle and still pushing through knowing the cycle was eventually going to end. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Where you, sure. I think a lot of people could get stuck and like something could go wrong where you don't have the tools to get out. But, you know, luckily mm-hmm. it worked out. I have one, one thing I wrote down that I thought was like a profound takeaway from that was like our circumstances change faster than we do. Yeah. Like, you 100%. Because what, um, what you were describing was basically like your environment had changed, but you hadn't. Yep. You I wasn't I mean? adapting fast enough. And that wasn't my fault. Like I was prepared and sometimes that's not enough. Were you were you a teenager? Were you like entering your twenties? I was like eighteen, nineteen. Uh, you know, eighteen, nineteen, twenty. That's a weird. Like, yeah, that's a weird. Yeah. That's weird. And I was. I mean, I was far away from home. I was far away from my family. I think a lot of people didn't see me, didn't know me, so they couldn't check me. They couldn't be like, "This is not you." Mm. Does that make sense? Sort of. No. Nah. I mean, it was just it was new people. They yeah. didn't know who. They didn't know that I was a good kid. They didn't know that I was raised right. They didn't know that I had people that loved me. So whatever happened to me just kind of happened in a vacuum type vibes. Oh damn! So you know what I'm saying? There was no hope of like being saved. Like I had to save myself because nobody yeah. knew. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying. So it was sort of like um. So you mentioned it like it seemed that everything was kind of happening in a vacuum, mm-hmm. and. I got the impression that it was because you, it, well, actually not, because like, nobody knew you, actually. Mm-hmm. I was going to say it's because you have the, uh, these expectations that you come from a good home and yeah. you do all, you know, you got all these things going. If I yeah. remember, you was a killer in high school. I appreciate that. Thank you know what I'm saying? saying <laughs> I'm, I'm saying like I was I did there. my best. You I did my mean? best, yeah. But um, I don't. And when you do, when you're when you're put together in a certain way, mm-hmm. people definitely have certain expectations. Mm-hmm. Of you. Yeah. They they just don't expect you to go through certain problems. Right, that's true. Yeah, you know what I'm saying, is that how you were feeling at the time? Yeah, and I I mean I think I maintained that. I think that was my public persona. Like people thought I was like killing it and doing all these great things. And I think that was important for my family. I think there's something about being undocumented where you feel like you have to save your family, and you have to be excellent because I mean getting into school. 
I had to get like at the time when I got into college, it was like illegal for me to go to college. This is 2012, right? This was like was this before like DACA and stuff? Like um, that, literally the year DACA came out. Oh wow. Um, okay. and I mean this is a little bit about my family, but my family's like applied, not applied to be deported, but like went through removal proceedings, which wow. means that they announced wow. the government that we were illegal so that they started getting deported. But that's the only way you can appeal the case, right? And this happened a month before DACA. And if it if DACA had happened first, I don't think my parents would have done it, right? But because we had done that, we didn't qualify for DACA, right? Mm -hmm. um, but at the time, like I was like on top, like high school, I was doing so many things because I knew I needed a scholarship. Like my parents didn't have no money for school. And I had to get the scholarship while being undocumented, which at the time was like illegal. So I was getting into a lot of schools and they were just telling me like, sorry, like our laws don't allow for you to go to school. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, yeah, um, yeah. And plus, it has to be a full ride as well. So, a lot of me being excellent wasn't necessarily because I was. I mean, like, I I didn't want to be a tryhard. You know what I'm saying? I was doing it because I had to be. Um, and also, I mean, that also goes into like you know being a black kid and being like I have to be like black excellence and like that's also a trauma response, right? And that's something I had to break down later and be like, Am I doing these things because they're truly me and I want to, or am I doing it because I need to survive and this is how I need to survive? Is being like this stellar kid that everyone yeah. loves, you know? That's crazy. Um, so when I lost that and I started feeling like I wasn't that, um, that really did something to my identity. Like, I'm not a good kid. Everybody doesn't love me. I'm not succeeding. So that was the first thing. Yeah. But the other thing, too, is that I was still maintaining that persona while going through a lot of things. And yeah. it, I also didn't know how to reconcile that or how to tell people that I was like going through it. You know what I'm mm -hmm. saying? So, no. uh, it, yeah. It, it sounds like a very, um, yeah, we, we good. Mm. Maybe make a noise upstairs, yo. I don't know what they're doing. It sounds like a very um, solitary experience. Yeah, it definitely was. How do you feel isolate, like that kind of, um, Isolation, I feel like, makes a writer. Like mm -hmm. you can't, you can't mm -hmm. write in community. I, I don't think that's true. I think you like can you, you can, you can. <laughs> but the story no, no. don't come from the community. Well, I mean, I mean, so like, especially when you're when you're developing, though. Yeah. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. it's really easy too for other people to like influence you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You got too many um hands in the cookie jar type of situation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? How do you feel like that? That like time alone. Not just shape you as a writer, but like, what was that time alone like? Um, you know, it's funny. At the time, I felt like I I lost my like relationship to God, right? Whoa! Okay. I was <laughs> a lot. Um, I was really religious as a kid, and my dad was like a community leader, and you know, would would really teach us about God. And I spent a lot of my time in church, mm -hmm. and I believed it for a really long time. Um, but then when I was in those trenches. Because what was happening in the trenches is that I was making decisions myself. Like, I was making choices that I was like, oh, this is taking me away from God. And I knew that. Yeah. You, you, it was like in the moment you were like looking at yourself, make a choice that was mm -hmm. like, yo, you know, you're, you're doing yeah. the wrong no, thing. No, I was right looking now. at the camera. Damn. Like breaking the four boards. Yeah. And then so yeah, when, yeah, I, yeah. when I think back to that memory, I see myself looking at the camera. So it's like this moment where I'm looking at myself like, bitch, what the fuck was you doing? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, this is you. You did all this, right? Um, but, but at the time it's like, I thought I was losing God, but really what was happening is like, I was talking to God more because I didn't have nobody to talk to. So like me being mm. like me noticing those moments was me talking to God, essentially being like, what is going on right now? Yeah, you know? Yeah. And a lot of it was things that I was doing, but it was also weird things happening that I'm like, am I the only one who saw that? Like the only person that saw that was like 
this God person that I was talking to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it was solitary, but it really forced me to be my own friend and to really have my own yeah. system of like processing what was going on. Because I couldn't talk to my parents. I couldn't talk to my friends. I couldn't talk to anybody about what was going on. So yeah. I had to start figuring out how to create a narrative around it. And I think that's what a lot of the writing became. Okay, that's crazy. Yeah. I did not expect to hear the words God come out your mouth. I know, I know. You know it's a loop. It's... It's everything. Everything is everything. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I relate to you here. Is my father was a pastor actually mm, for a period of time. You're a pastor's kid too. Damn. Yeah, you know. What I'm <laughs> That's saying? why we're like this. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, why yeah. we're the way we Crack. are. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you kid too? too. That's three in a row. Sheesh. Okay. Four five. No. <laughs> my man's dad was a jeweler. My man's dad was a bachatero, bro. Oh, that's about. right. He was a bachatero. That's crazy. Yeah, yo. Um, it's different. Damn, yo. So, and oddly enough, I, I I wonder, I feel like you and I have a, um, I may just be making shit up now, but a similar temperament when it comes to religious faith. Because mm-hmm. you you don't, like, I'm a, I have a religious attitude, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? But I'm not a religious person yeah. necessarily. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um... And that that conviction you had too, like, yeah, yo, that's weird. It was it was hard because I had to really deconstruct a lot of what I had learned as a kid, um, especially in terms of like you know colonialism, like how is religious like religion colonial and you know, but also I didn't want to give up on a higher power, so I really had to I had to fight with that a lot mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. So how do you how did you go about like um, almost reconciling? Cause myself as a mixed race person, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like my mom is is whiter than me, and then my dad looked like everybody else in this room, mm-hmm. except me and Jimmy. I guess you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Um, and I, I guess sort of like mi- mixed kids go through this, and then I feel like now this is also a religious problem mm-hmm. too. Where how do you reconcile? Like. You have this this part of your identity yeah. that belongs to this this um historical group of people who have mm-hmm. you know oppressed uh-huh. and yeah. and who have also like in another sense like um I forgot nah just o- o- oppressed but also they they're like it's it's the dominant culture you know what I mean yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't like to get too much into like race shit I have opinions that I think people won't like mm-hmm. as as much as they might like this you mm-hmm. know what I'm saying mm-hmm. yeah but um. On a religious note, so how did you deal with sort of like, because I'm assuming you was a Christian household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Those, those, those crusaders, man. You know what I'm saying? Um, how did you reconcile like that, that, colon- that colonial part of your own yeah. history? You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, one of the things I do recognize is that because, so what happened, one of the things that happened when I was a kid is that I wasn't around any anything sort of treacherous. Like my parents were very protective of me. Um, and I, I, at first I was like, maybe like when I was coming into my myself, I was like kind of mad at them. I was like, you never exposed me to any of this. Like I'm like a noob and all this stuff. <laughs> but then I realized um, they had come from crazy homes where they chose not to like continue that. Yeah, like yeah, they broke yeah. a lot of curses. Like we talk about breaking generational curses for ourselves, but I think my parents broke the curse uh, yeah. and they came together to live a life where they could have a kid and protect that kid. For sure. Right. And one of those things was like alcohol. Like they didn't drink at all. So I never drank as a kid ever. I didn't drink until I was like 18 at like a frat party or something. Right. Woo-hoo. Actually it was like a sexual fantasies party. But, <laughs> um, but then when I started drinking, I, like I started drinking. Mm-hmm. Like I was, 
an alcoholic. I don't drink now for that reason. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through it, I was drinking a lot and I was like, why didn't my parents ever teach me about this? Like, why didn't they like expose me to it to give me like, you know, a way to control it? Like they never spoke to me about any of it. So now I'm having trouble controlling it because I never experienced it as a kid. And then I realized mm. even if I'm mad at my parents for being mad religious, them being religious protected me from this. Yeah, you yeah. know what I'm saying? And even if I'm fucking up now on my own, I, none of this came into my life when I was a kid because they were very intentional. And that had to do with their faith and their conviction. Yeah, um, yeah. And caring for me and making sure that I had um, community and just feeding me as a human being, that came a lot from their faith. Mm -hmm. So I, like, I think when I grew up a little bit, even though I was very critical of Christianity, I had to give them props for like, your faith is what kept y'all like feeding me. Yeah, and yeah, I can't, yeah. I can't negate that just because I personally don't believe what's okay. going on. You know what I'm saying? Damn. So, um, yeah, shout out my parents. I mean, I don't know if they would have done that if they weren't Christian, but it, it, that's how it ended up being. Do you feel as though you had a lot of freedom in America? What do you mean? So, this uh, the one thing I thought of as you were speaking was like. Um, Islam, right? Mm -hmm. uh, especially like, you know, not especially, but in the East as compared to here, yeah. it's a much more like um, restrictive religion. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But a lot of people speak to the benefit and the beauty of that. Mm -hmm. And it's on another note where like, I think about some of the Muslim friends I have here in the US and like people who just religious, for religious reasons yeah. and religious principles, don't smoke, yep, don't, don't drink, drink. Yep. you know what I'm saying? And there's like no judgment or nothing, but it's sort of like, that's how they live their life. Mm -hmm. But for example, like on a college campus, yeah, it's not that like people are like, like excluding them, but it's like, it's always like a whoa moment. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. And sort of like, there are instances where restriction is good, right? Mm -hmm. But in freedom is good too, but freedom with excess is bad, you know what I'm right. saying? Right, and I think what I didn't anticipate growing up was that I have to make those boundaries for myself. Like, it doesn't matter if my, par like my parents taught me to be a good kid. I have to choose to be a good person. And yeah. I always, I think because my parents did so much of that work for me as a kid, I just always relied on them to do that for me, to make choices for me. Yeah. So when I had all these choices and I fell yeah. into a lot of them and made terrible choices, that's when I was like, oh no no no! Like I need to build this discipline for myself. You 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 met with you were met with freedom and you realized you needed yeah. to have responsibility. And I definitely indulged in it and it was fun for a while and then it was terrible for a while. And I was like, if I don't build my own disciplines and my own boundaries for myself and my own like respect for myself and my body, yeah. like that's when I became an adult. Is when I mm. realized like I need to create these for myself and no one will enforce them except for me. That's facts. You that's know, facts. and that's when I started being, you know, like an adult and a human. And yeah. All that fun stuff. Did you ever like, cause you know, I, sometimes I wonder, man, how some people can just go through with certain like malicious acts mm -hmm. because my conscience is like eating me. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like I'll, I'll almost want to do something bad, right? Yeah. And like then my brain- vengeful. I'm a, I'm vengeful as fuck. I'm very vengeful. A lot of my writing is vengeful. Like it's definitely me getting people back. Yeah, yeah. You getting your get back. You get yeah. your get back. Damn, yo. Oh, sure. What was I saying? Um, yeah. How do people's consciousness allow them to be terrible people? Yeah. Do you feel any Christian guilt? Yeah, I do. Explain. I mean, okay. So I went to a really white church, and like they still excluded me, and I was like, that was part of the reason why I didn't really like fuck with it. I was like. Oh, like I'm somebody to be reached, 
to be like saved to y'all like i'm an example of your piousness and i don't want that yeah, so yeah. you know but then okay and the, also the other thing is like i was you know I'm, i mean i am queer but at the time a lot of my queerness was also like in conflict with my religion. I was like, whatever I'm going mm -hmm. through, because it was happening in a queer context, I was like, I can't tell my parents. They're not gonna get it. They're gonna you know, ostracize me. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I was like, God will never love me, I'm queer. Or I can't love God, I'm queer. Mm -hmm. You know, that was a lot of tension that I was having as well. Like I can't, as a queer person, I'm not allowed to have, you know, to love God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so you're excluded. I'm excluded, and like politically, I have to be because those two things are not congruent. And then I was like, I can believe whatever I want, you know. Damn. So. Nah, man. You know, it's funny because there's this weird like you have sometimes you have to give yourself permission mm -hmm. to do things. Yeah, it's true. And that's such a hard thing to do for some people. Mm -hmm. It's like. Just allow yourself to break a rule yeah. or allow yourself to be something else, right? Because I have met, you know, queer people who believe in God and yeah. who do all these religious things, mm -hmm. right? And it's because it's not about we we enter when we get into institutionalized anything, yeah, we immediately start running into a problem between like private association mm -hmm. and then public association. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, like publicly a queer person may not feel comfortable admitting their religious views. That's you know true. what I'm saying? Right. But, you know, they still have that private feeling. They still have that right. private sensation, right? And so I don't we I, I say because when we when we talk about things like social constructs, for example, yeah. they they all have that weird like public and private facing yeah. like component. I agree. You know what I mean? Um as a as a writer, how have you felt about being like a public figure? A public figure, a like, public figure. Not like, you know what I mean? How do I put it? This nigga's with my face on. <laughs> In the streets and shit. You want hoodies? You want a podcast? You got, you are the co-founder of Exposed Brick Exposed Literary, Brick Literary Magazine. Magazine. Um, yes. The new, the new, the new edition's coming out when? It's that coming one. out January 14th. We're having a launch at uh, El Taller, 6 to 10. Pull up, you know, not yeah. burner on the beats, whatever. But yeah. yeah. Low key. This event will have passed by the time this podcast goes up. Mm. But the the yeah, yo, fuck yeah. Um, but either way, the books are still gonna be for sale when this shit comes out. Yeah, so, no, they're gonna be out for sure. And yeah. it and that's and that's a lot of like. Okay, so I don't know how you feel about this. We can talk about it, but like, I feel like writers have crazy egos. Oh yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Because you're you're like a fucking your world builder. You build a world. Like, I think that's I'm a, a lot of genius. power. No, for sure. And you have to be in order to have the authority to build a world. Yeah. Like, it's part of it. Like you have to build that ego. And I think that speaks to like the whole public identity thing. Like I used to be shy, and I was like, for what? Like if I'm being shy, does not serve me as a writer. You know, mm -hmm. it's part of the job. It's like being a teacher. As a teacher, I have to stand in front of people and talk to them. You know what I'm saying? J-Ron says hi, by the way. Oh, my God, Jesse. <laughs> I love J-Ron. Shout out J-Ron. Like, <laughs> Celery. So, such a profound student. Anyway, um, yeah. And it's like, if you don't get over you having to stand in front of people and talk, you yeah. can't teach and you can't serve your purpose in the world, which is yeah. to teach, right? And I think that's the same thing with writing. It's like, you have to get over that that feeling of people seeing you because mm -hmm. it's like why were you given that feeling or that gift of writing if you can't handle the part of it where people see it you know yeah. what i'm saying did, um did you ever want to be famous yeah i think i definitely want to be famous i we you know we can still we still working on it we'll see what happens with this pod you know what i'm uh, saying yeah, yeah, yeah. um i don't think i want to be famous per se but 
I do want to feel seen and I feel like sometimes I have to see myself. So I don't really care if other people see me, but I do want to see myself. But I do know that there's a um, there's a positive impact in people seeing me. And the first one that I always see and I always think of is I have a little sister and she looks like me. I have a little brother, too. And I think people do better when they meet them if they've met another black person. <laughs> you know, that, that's like uh, that's actually you know like what I'm a. Saying? That's just a surveyable fact. Yeah. They did the, some studies in psychology where, oh, yeah. like, the performance of certain individuals, like, improved when they saw... Because what, what happens is when you see somebody in, that looks like you in a certain position, all of a sudden... Um, you feel like you can do it, too. The possibility yeah. becomes more obvious. And not even for my sister, per se, but for other people. Like, I need other people to experience... Not necessarily me, but like a successful, positive, vibrant black person before they run into my sister. Because if they don't do that, they're going to whatever negative stereotype they have about black people, they're going to project it onto my sister. And mm -hmm. I don't want that. So, you know what mm -hmm. I'm saying? So I have to do this first so that by the time they get to my sister, they know how to act type vibes. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. So I think there is also that very um, immediate effect, the very practical effect of like, my me existing in the world as a legible black femme queer immigrant whatever i am like brings legibility to other people who look like me mm -hmm. um and i i take that very seriously because i've benefited from that from other people interesting okay you know? i feel like that's a conversation i've had with adriel about and sort of like representation um because that feels like a double-edged sword sometimes yeah, though right yeah, it's true. so are you saying that in some sense you feel representative of the group no. Okay. I feel like I speak for myself. If you want to know how I feel, you can ask me how I feel. Mm -hmm. I also retain the right to change my mind. I can change my mind if I'm wrong. That's okay. I used to not allow myself to change my mind, but I do now. Um, but also, don't assume that I said anything. You know what I'm saying? Like, don't don't be yeah, out here yeah. putting things in my mouth. Like, if you want to know how I feel, ask me. And yeah. that's very important to me. Like, I learned how to speak because I don't want people to speak for me. Interesting. You know? That's crazy. I just, you know, that's the one thing I can do for myself. I can't do everything for myself, but that I, I, I take that very seriously for myself. Yeah, yeah. Almost going back to the title now, yo. I'm, I am not allowed to explain, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what did you just say? I'm sorry, my memory just fucking farted. About what? Um. About speaking for myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So. I'm not allowed to explain. Mm -hmm. Is that is that in itself a contradiction? Because are you not explaining yourself that, in this book? Yeah, the whole book is explaining. Like, <laughs> but it's also mad toxic. It's like, this is why I did all the toxic things that yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It's because this other thing was happening. You know, it's like, it's a very toxic space, I think, sometimes. Um, writing. Because you can justify everything yeah, that yeah, you've yeah. done or haven't done. And I also don't know why other people write. Other people write for other reasons. You know, sometimes people write fictional worlds that have nothing to do with their life. But I think for me, a lot of my writing is explaining shit to other people about myself, you know? Um, I, for some reason, I doubt that. Like, not, not, I, the first part. Yeah. Because I feel like everybody is always trying to solve a problem. Fair. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's coming from somewhere. Yeah, yeah right? I agree yeah, with yeah. that, yeah. This is the thing about, about creativity, though, in general. Um, and this is what? what? Oh, yeah. Mm, yeah, for sure. I, I wasn't even thinking about escapism or something like that, man. Because this is the thing, though, is that I feel like people generally associate, and this is a this is kind of a problem, because people think they're not creative for this reason. Mm. We usually associate creativity with art. Like, mm. I don't know if we could see that painting up there um, by Mariana Perez. It's a classic. Um, 
right? Uh, what you call it? Sort of like it's primarily, I think, a problem-solving tool. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm Creativity. saying? Yeah. yeah, I see that. Like, engineers are very creative type vibes. Yeah, yeah. It, but it's not artsy or flashy, so it's like we don't really think yeah. it's, it's creative, but it's really about what's, like, almost the most original way to get around the problem. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I think about it for artists. I think, like, Nas said this. Um, the artist who suffers, yeah, his stuff is the best. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I think he said that on the... Um, Whatever album Locomotive was on, I forgot what album that was. Um, but it's sort of like creative people, particularly artists, and we spoke about trauma earlier, but I feel like oftentimes we're trying to resolve some sort of trauma. Yeah, you know what sure. I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I, I think a lot about what it means for me to be here. Um, having my family be undocumented, being from a world that's very far away from here, and not having access to it because we're undocumented, like... What does it mean for me to document what our lives are here? Mm-hmm. You know, in this like golden land of America, like what does it mean for me to be um, just naming the experience? Because I think a lot of that reconciliation between like the trauma and the things we want versus the things we need um, and the things we don't have, sometimes just naming it is the resolving of it. Just yeah. saying it out loud. Because I also think uh, immigrants in a lot of ways don't allow themselves to name what's going on. What do you feel like naming things does? I think it's like the same thing with the tweeting. Like once you see it, you can address it. You know, if you don't know that it's happening, if you don't acknowledge or accept that it's happening to you, especially, you're never gonna get help. You're never gonna change. Yeah, yeah. You know? That reminds me of one time, Adriel. Shouts to you, my boy. <laughs> I did podcast. I didn't know what anxiety. I didn't know how anxiety felt until yeah. Adriel pointed it out to me. Where I was at a taller, I had gotten a sandwich, I sat down, and then I don't want to eat. Mm. And then I'm looking around me. I'm like, man, like, yeah. What what sandwich was it? Was it the honey habanero? Torta? It was a blue buffalo torta. Uh, I, can't, I can't do the, the pork. Oh Come God. on, I can't do the oh, pork. You have halal and okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what you call it? Adriel comes up to me. He's like, yo, you anxious? And that shit flipped my whole oh, world, bro. Shout out Adriel. That one word. Yeah. Are and that one are you anxious? Yeah. I'm like, yes, my brother, I am. Mm. I did not know I was. Wow. You know what I'm saying? Um, that's what I feel like names, like that's that's the, a big power. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Oh, shit. Damn, yo, we've been, we've been talking a minute. I have, there's so many different tangents to go on. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I had I had something I wanted to ask one more thing, but I really can't remember, bro. Um, can you tell me more about your book? Are you allowed to say anything? Or? Yeah, 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 I could talk about it. I could talk about it. Um, the book titled, um, the current the current new title is, um, what the fuck did I text you? <laughs> That's the name of the book? <laughs> That's the name of one of the stories. And I actually got, it? Hot, Hot Boys Never Prosper is the name of one of the... Hot Boys Never Prosper? Yeah. Do you think yeah. that's true? I, I, got that. I need to know if that's true. Do you think that's true as a concept? So in the in the book, I'll explain the the idea of a hot boy is like, what do you think a hot boy is? Actually? Is it like a fuck boy, but you don't want to say fuck boy? Nah, 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 nah. Is, like, just hot, bringing mad attention to himself. Oh, uh, like, like hot box and shit. Ah, uh, like, yeah, yeah, that's very different. Okay, interesting. Pu- pulling up to the to the skate park, like jeweled out and like dudes. Okay. What okay. are you doing right now? Come in here. Yeah. Like that. Um, I want to live again, my dear brother. Yeah, yeah. Brother. Stop it. That can't be the title. Why not? That's promising too much. I feel like I would expect a lot. 
Like, I want to live again, like, dear brother? Yeah. So... You'd have to be like Baldwin if you wrote that. You know what I'm saying? I might be, mommy. Come on. I mean, if you put dear brother, it's over. Like... Yeah. <laughs> so the, the book is dedicated toward, to my brothers. Mm. Um, and not like my, my biological brothers, although yeah. I do love the hell out of y'all. Yeah. And y'all will find yourselves there. Because <laughs> my analysis of my own, like, sibling relationships, particularly mm-hmm. with my brothers, yeah. has shown me a lot about, like, male relationships in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's what the book is, is hitting on a lot. And that's why, like... I love the I, I love that title actually. Like I want to live again, dear brother. Mm. Um, cause I'm particularly. Yeah, huh? I love that. No, it's it's enough. That could be the whole vignette or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. Beautiful. It's sort of a memoriam. Like a lot of a lot of young men and women in our hood have died. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? True. Got to Lawrence when dudes was like 14. I'm 20 some now, and I feel like like it it's still less than all 10 fingers. But it's more than one hand. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. And yeah. that that you know what I mean that's that's the trauma I'm trying to work out in the yeah. book. You know what I'm saying? Wow. Because you 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 only have a six degrees of separation from from people. Yeah. Some of the kids that have died in the last ten years, like I found out, I, and some of them I knew personally. But some of them I found out, I'm like, damn, bro, like, yeah. Shorty was this person's cousin or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, damn, I forgot where the hell I was going with this. Yeah, that's why I want to live again, dear brother. Mm-hmm. Like, they, we live on in memory, mm-hmm. in the, in this really in this really thought out way, um, and you know also just as a cultural dialogue. You know, mad mad. I be hearing it every day, man. Man ain't shit. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, I've never said that. Thank my, you. Uh, one of my resolutions for this year is to respect black men. Respect black it? men, 2023. I'm, that's what I'm doing this year. Respecting black men? I'm respecting black Let's men. Let's get it, yo. I guess mixed race men as well. Gang, gang. <laughs> you know, I look like a white dude. Like, come Respect on. men in general, 2023. Yeah. Um, like, and so, yeah, like, people always ask, like, you know, people always say, man, ain't shit. Nobody ever asked why. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And it's not that it's an excuse for, you know, intolerable behavior. Yeah. But uh, you can't help nobody. Like, mm-hmm. become a better individual if we can't empathize. Yeah, that's true. You know what yeah. I mean? And, and men got to do that work. It got to be something that men are doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm hoping it's helpful to both genders. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, it could also go totally sideways. You know what I mean? I like, nah, because I, I think I have a generally nuanced opinion yeah. of, like, race and gender. Yeah. And, like, both sides would think I agree with them. And at the same time, they would think I don't. Mm. You know what I'm okay. saying? Well, I mean, that's your right as a human. You're allowed to be a nuanced human yes. being. I mean, everybody is, and I think that's that's the whole thing. Is like everybody can be nuanced. Do you f- is nuance? Um, everyone can be nuanced and should yeah. be nuanced. Mm-hmm. But how um, I guess adaptable is that in our environment today? Like, do you feel like we have um, the ability to be nuanced? Do we have a culture conducive to, to nuance? nuance? Hmm. Yeah, unfortunately, I think about like hood politics, right? Like mm-hmm. in the hood, I think we are under certain pressures to sort of function a certain way. Like if you think about like poverty, poverty makes us sort of move similarly, right? Whether or not, like if we had more resources, we would have so much more um, opportunities to live nuanced lives, right? But in oh. a lot of ways, we have to live similarly because of this force of poverty or this force of racism or whatever. Um, But I also think that requires people to explore themselves. And that's only, that responsibility only falls on you. Like you can only give yourself permission to explore yourself. 
And I think a lot of people, what happens first is like they hit trauma. And when it's they hit the trauma, instead of going past it or dealing with it, which is literally terrible and hard and it might take your whole life, they go the other way. And it's easier to just pick up a like a stereotype or a caricature and be that than to really find who they are under that. It's it's easier to fit somebody's bill of what you're supposed to be rather yeah. than creating your own Yeah. Um criteria yeah and that could be anything that could be like oh my dad wants me to be a successful pastor so i'm gonna do that so it doesn't always look like you're a gangbanger or whatever yeah, it could yeah. also just be that you are doing the nice thing that other people want you to do without ever knowing if that's what you want or not that's crazy okay damn wow wild shit bro not, that is some hard shit I, it, <laughs> it, it hits me man because I don't know. I grew up in a somewhat non-traditional household. Granted, my family structure was in shambles most of the time. Like, you know what I'm saying? But honestly, for as bad as that was, yeah. it came with so much freedom. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. I could do anything. Like, my my, my parents here, they're going to hate me saying, I got away with so much shit. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just for lack of supervision. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And how do you think that worked out? Like, do you think that you were just wiser as a kid or... Yeah, in some instances, but I also think, you know, like you said earlier, writers have egos. Mm-hmm. Like my ego was just un- unfettered. Mm-hmm. Like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it was like, and I'm still to this day kind of an asshole. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It I happens. It happens. You <laughs> know what I'm saying? Sometimes y'all deserve it. You got you to mitigate against that. You really got to choose to keep your ego in check. I'm learning to pick my batch. Uh-huh. That, yeah. That's the That's task. an important lesson. Yeah. Yeah. But fucking um shit. What was I gonna say though? Um, Your family structure and growing up. So it came with a lot of freedom and independence yeah. and sort of yeah. On one hand, I was very able to um like create my own original thoughts. Mm-hmm. That's that's an exaggeration. I don't yeah. think there's anything that original, right? Right. right. But for myself, right? Yeah. And I had a lot of those moments as a kid where like, I thought of something. I'm like, damn, I just thought of this genius ass idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I go to school. It'd be like. Oh damn! We are, yeah, somebody already. Came yeah, up you with that, read bro. and you're like, oh, this has already been thought of. Yeah, right. Like, damn. But props to me for thinking of it, right? Right, right. But this was the downside. It was sort of the isolation, mm-hmm. um, and the ego thing. Where as I get older, especially in social interactions, yeah. like I, I've had because I, I felt like I lacked a certain amount of social interaction as a youth. Yeah, like you know what I'm saying. Um, Spend all my time with my thoughts, with my books, right? Mm-hmm. I was like, thoughts? Yeah. Elevated thoughts? Okay. Gang, gang. <laughs> um, but sort of, yeah, now that I, as I've gotten older, it's sort of like navigating the social world yeah. is very taxing. And, you know, for a long time, I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. Like, there was the problem. Yeah. Like, my young ass wasn't socialized properly, quote, yeah. unquote. Yeah. And in some instances, hell yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, I look back on certain things and I'm like, wow, I was definitely stupid. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But then I look back and I'm like, the other person was being stupid. Yeah, I you know mean, it happens both ways a lot. No, you're young though. You're what, 23? I was really hoping you were going to say that. Like, <laughs> we're going to cut that out. We're going to bleep so that. So you were born in 2000? I know, I was born in um, 1999. I'm going to be 24 this year. Wow. You know what I'm saying? At some point in this That's year, crazy. I'll be 24. I won't tell you when. That's crazy. Your brain is about to fully develop soon. Yeah, I That's hope. That's going to be exciting for you. I hope. <laughs> I need to stop denaliating people from like 25 up. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, yo, it happens, man. Yo, I used to get mad when people like, when I was like 18 or 19 and like somebody 21 would say something to me. Mm-hmm. I used to get mad about it. Mm-hmm. And then when I was 21, like, I kind of got it, but not for the reasons they said. Mm. 
I don't know. People be on young shit. Yeah. No, it's a beautiful thing to get old. And I feel like people fear it. You know what I'm saying? It's nice to be like around people who know themselves more. That's what it is. Just knowing yourself more yeah. makes everything easier, I think, for everybody. The more time you spend alone getting to know yourself, I yeah. think the harder it is to, to like... To, yeah, just take anything from anybody. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Do you feel... um how how has your like social life been affected as a writer and entrepreneur? Mm, that's a good question. First of all, I feel like I don't go out a lot. Um, I <laughs> literally I teach, I sleep, I read. That's it. I write. Um, I think so. I mean, I got married when I was 23, 24. Damn. So I um that changed my social dynamics a lot. A lot of a lot of friends that I made from like eighteen to twenty one, I gave up on. I was like not friends with you anymore. So that affected my social life a lot. Um, but I think a lot of my friends are writers. I think that's I've really been intentional about that. Like I really only hang out with like creative people. That sounds really pretentious. I only hang out with creative types. You know, yeah, yeah. we all wear turtlenecks and hoodies with my face on. Um, but I definitely I, so writing becomes my community. I think a lot of people write in isolation, and a lot of people. Um, judge people who are writers like if I wasn't friends with writers I think my friends would judge me for writing I think my friends who aren't writers sort of judge me for writing you know what kind of judgment is it like positive um, negative I think they think I'm obsessed with myself you know yeah. what I'm saying I think they're uh, they think I'm obsessed with my trauma I think they worry about showing up in my writing and how they're gonna show up in my writing Wow. you know because I think there was a time in my life when I people didn't know how they stood with me I wasn't clear and I didn't know. For mm -hmm. a lot of reasons, I didn't know how I stood with them. So I've been trying to build a lot of those bridges so that people don't feel like I'm secretly writing about them type. You know, like, like was it Randall from Recess? He had a little notebook, like, writing shit down about. You know? And I feel like that's what it was for a while. I was like, you know what? I can't believe you're doing this to me right now. I'm writing it down, you know? But I try not to isolate people. I try not to create depictions of people that are intentionally malicious. Mm -hmm. um, and I, yeah. you know, and I try to focus on myself. Like, I, I always tell people, like, this is my calling. This is my purpose. Um, and there's nothing I can do about that. Mm -hmm. Like, y'all either are going to get with it or you're not. And I can't choose that for you. Um, but also, like, I am here trying to intentionally build relationship with people. So I, I am open to having relationships with people. As long as you respect that about me, that I do right. Yeah. You know? That's crazy. Yeah. There's a Baldwin quote, actually. I was reading with my students on Friday that was like, he was talking about leaving America and going to France because there was so much racism in America. And he was like, well, I got there, but I'm still the grandson of a slave. And he said, I'm the grandson of a slave and I'm a writer. I must deal with both. Mm -hmm. you know. And I was asking my students, like, yeah, we know why he has to deal with being a grandson of a slave, but why does being a writer have to do with it, right? And it's like, as a writer, you have to process things. Like, that's your job, pretty much. There is, there is often a need in certain individuals, like... Some of us really cannot like exist without having our outlet. Yeah. Like a writer really like I believe you when you say you can't live without writing. I can't. And I'll write in my head if I don't have a pen or a paper. You know what I'm saying? Like it's happening. The narrative exists even if I'm not physically doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, but it's important to know that it is a narrative. It might be true, it might not be true. And I think that's where like the salvation comes is knowing that it's a narrative and it's not fact, you know. Is that too much? Nah, nah, it's perfect. It's sort of like, because, man, this is what, like, my, my dissertation, oh, that was me, that was me, because, this is what I was writing about, for, like, in philosophy for the last year, mm. was 
fuck? What did you say? Um, the narrative. The narrative, yeah. right? It's like not always true. It's just a narrative. We 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 have this, and this goes back to like what I was saying about like social constructs and mm-hmm. stuff. Like we have this strange relationship with narrative. Well, here I'll ask you the question: mm-hmm. um, Are narratives real? I think um, whatever we one of my coworkers says this, or like my boss says this a lot. The illusion is good enough to be the truth. Or I don't know how she says it. She's like, whatever we assume is the truth functions as the truth. Yeah, you know what yeah. I'm saying? And like, I think as a writer, part of my job as well, is like I always tell my students, like, if you don't write about yourself, someone else is going to write about you. And do you trust what they're going to say about you? Mm-hmm. You know, because whatever they say about you will create your reality, whether yeah. or not it was true before or not. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like it might not be true now, but you can like nudge it towards that truth if you write it as yeah. the, you know the narrative that you want what is truth to you uh is that like there's a truth and then there's other things like no nah, i mean like so like I, the objective truth like is like yeah is that is that a thing um i don't know i think we all perceive the truth however we experience it and i think every single person has a truth so i don't know if it can be a collective truth Right. I don't know. I think we have to I think we have to agree on truth sometimes. And I think that's what relationships are like. Oh, we both believe this thing is true. But that's a choice we're making because that might not be true. Yeah. I like the way I've always seen it is that humans. I don't know. I have I have felt as though we. Like as a species, we think the problem is in the world. Mm -hmm. Like I think the world is true. Yeah. Everything that's in the world is the natural world. Yeah. yeah, and that includes us though too. For example, okay. right? You know what I'm saying? And even those things called social constructs. Yeah. Like I think like you know even like lions, wolves, bears, like they part as social animals. They yeah. participate in these like social constructs. Mm-hmm. But the construct is a weird word because it's not necessarily constructed, mm-hmm. but more like I feel like we're interpreting reality. Uh-huh. Like you get what I'm saying? Like it's all there. Yeah. But like we're this we're subjects. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We live in our own heads. Yeah. And so we're like, we're literally looking at the world through a looking guy. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, and so like, I don't know, to me, truth is always a matter of proximity. Mm-hmm. Like how close does your interpretation of the facts feel to the facts? Like how genuine does it feel? Mm-hmm. Like, and do you feel like the fact can be determined? Do you think we all as human beings have the right to know what the fact is? Or like, do you think we can get to the facts? Or do you think... Some of us are always going to be separated by a level of like um, truth that's been constructed for us. No, I think we could always get to the facts. Yeah. But like, that's the thing though, is that facts are just facts. They don't do shit. Like, yeah. they just sit there. Yeah, like, you know true. what I'm saying? Yeah. It's not until the human being like interacts with the facts yeah. that the facts change. It gives it meaning, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. um, it's like, it's almost like, what's the point of knowing how to fix a car if there are no cars? That's true. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think you have society without social animals. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, these things always go kind of hand in hand. You know what I mean? Um, Yeah, yeah. Something I was talking about with Jimmy was sort of like the universal in particulars. Mm -hmm. And like, we're always dealing with it, um, especially in terms of identity, because there's Gladys. Yeah. um, And then there are like, then there are Kenyans. You know what I'm saying? And Gladys is... Kenyan, but yeah. Gladys is not all Kenyan, yep. exactly. right? Um, Daniel, and like then we talk about like racially ambiguous people, yeah. you know what I'm saying? And then it gets even more like, or like mixed people like me. It, 
our ability to identify the fact yeah. or like get to the the reference yeah. is obscured right. by so much social building. Mm-hmm. Like you know what I'm saying, like I think I know what race is. Yeah. Some people would argue I don't. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But feeling as though I do, I had to cut through so much other shit. Yeah. You get know what I'm saying? Yeah. There is, we can say, socially constructed. Yeah. But what makes it constructive for me is the expectations. Mm. Like, Can you give me an example of that? Like, for, I want to like talk about what, for race to me is, um, for example, like attachment. Uh-huh. You know what I'm saying? You attach either yourself or a group of people with ideas. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And there could be emotional attachments where it's like, as a Dominican in a room full of like four out of five Dominic, oh, you're Puerto Rican. You know what I'm saying? Um, three out of five, five Dominicans. <laughs> it's just, honestly just sitting in a room. Three fifths Dominican. Everybody's three fifths Dominican. Yeah. Just sitting in a room full of Dominican, uh, full of people of color. I feel like I feel I belong here. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And it's that feeling of belonging, yeah. right? Because as soon as you are in a setting, like you know, when I went to England, I'm like, yeah, I don't belong here. Mm-hmm. Like you feel it viscerally, mm-hmm. yep, right? I agree. And like whatever race is beyond the social construct, it fundamentally has to do with our tribal tendencies, yep. our tribal emotions. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Um, because, and this is where we do get into the social construct yeah. part, right? I can call you black, I could call him brown, I could call myself white. Mm-hmm. And the word is the construct. Yeah. But that you are a different individual than me yeah. with your own different identity yeah. and all these facts about you make it so that like you are like, you are more than the, the construct. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Or that the construct is more than what we usually think of it as. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if any of that made no, any that sense. No, that makes sense. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. No, for sure. I mean, I think being a Kenyan person and being somebody who wasn't born in the U.S., like, I always say, like, my introduction to blackness was very interesting because mm. I, like, became black one day, randomly. Tell, tell, yo, speak you know about what I'm that. Saying? Because, so I came to America when I was seven, and, like, I came from a country where everybody was, like, not everybody looked like me. We all had big ass foreheads, we're all dark skin, you know what I'm saying? And like, it didn't, yeah, it wasn't a thing at all until I like came to America and then people started to project something onto me. And the weird thing about the projection is that it wasn't even true about me. Yeah, yeah, You know what I'm saying? Like whatever they were projecting, first of all, it was negative and I didn't understand that. And second of all, it was not specific to me at all. Mm-hmm. But then I somehow had to identify with it in order to survive. So I had to learn. So it's like I had to assimilate to Americanness, and then I had to assimilate to Black Americanness. I had to learn how to move as a Black person. Yeah, yeah. And then I always joke like I moved to Lawrence, and I had to like learn about like a Dominican's like nuance of that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? And then, yeah. but it's also like all those things are they who I am, mm-hmm. right? And even at this point, like, like I have a tribal identity, like I'm from a tribe, right? But like, first of all, I've been separated from that tribe for a very long time. So even if I were to go back to that, you know, after the American assimilation, the black American assimilation, the like nuance of growing up in Lawrence, it's still not relevant anymore because I've grown up a whole life without it. You're a whole different person. I am. But now the sum of me is actually all those things. It's not necessarily any separate version of those. You know what I'm saying? But it's so arbitrary because I think the whole black thing is, is wild because it's like all the negative associations of blackness like don't make sense to me. And if I wasn't a black person, I might believe them, but I'm just like, somebody made those up and I know that because one day I just became all those things without being any of those things. That's crazy. You know what I'm saying? But also I got a lot of positive things. Like people think I'm cool and I can <laughs> dance and I'm like, you don't know nothing about me for you to be saying that. 
but you know now i can say a nigga but it's like should i be i don't know but i can because of this weird construct you know so it's very arbitrary and i think it it works very specifically also in the west than it does in other places but that's very specific to the no no no. i I actually a thousand percent agree with that um like scrounging on youtube going to england too and just like meeting and having a different racial experience. Yeah. Because over there, there there's no Latino, there's no mm. Hispanic. Or like That's a nuance I guess that we have here that they don't have. Yeah, yeah. I was just mixed race. Huh. Like just, that's it. Well, do they have any slurs for mixed race people? I not that I encounter. I feel like we don't have too many here, but you know, I feel like they definitely exist other places. They call they, they call call me a half breed or some shit. Yeah. I feel like yeah. I feel like in other contexts it's just so much more intense to be mixed race. I don't know. Though. In I'm England they probably call me a mudblood. <laughs> like this is the Harry Potter. Not a mudblood. No, I'm kidding. I'm That's kidding. wild. You know what I'm saying? Um and even then though, cause like this this is just a fact about my racial experience. I've gotten very accustomed to the fact that for some people on site I look like a white guy. Like this is not Is that triggering for you where you're like It used to be. Do you get a lot of privilege and you're like, wait, give it like take it back. Take the back. Nah, nah. It really I feel like it don't come with a lot of privilege. Because then I open my mouth and yeah. like I can't hide my accent yeah. or like just the way I talk and they're like, okay, he's he's either spicy white or he's just not white <laughs> at all. You know Yo, what I'm saying? Not spicy white. Um, so funny. I feel like that's also like a lot of white people have been adopting because of TikTok and the internet. Like they can just pretend to be spicy whites. Yeah, they yeah. can just assume that identity without having any ties to it, which is also wild. Yeah, yo, and it's like it's wild because it just it just looks cool. Mm-hmm. You know, people really just love what looks cool. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, I don't know, and it's weird. I don't know. I don't know if I can say it's weird, but it's a it's an odd fact to me that like one group of people <laughs> seems cooler than another. <laughs> like you know what I'm saying? So like, like how did that happen? <laughs> Listen, it's true. That's an objective truth. I, feel. Yeah. <laughs> I won't fight it. Personally I won't fight speaking. It. No, I don't know. Yeah, that cool is definitely a construct for sure. No, no, it's, definitely. But it's a, I don't know. It's a weird construct that somehow black people got. I don't know. I, mean, I think it has something to do with trauma. I it's like glorifying do, trauma, I think. I wonder if it has to do with danger. Yeah, like, that's what it is. Historically, you know what I mean? People of color have been seen as, as some sort of threat. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? Yeah. And when I think about like, Cause I also grew up in Ohio, in that like every film or documentary about white poverty yeah. I have ever seen yeah. took place in Ohio. Yeah, that's you true. know what I'm saying. And when I tell you, bro, like the white people over there are very different than the white people over here. Mm. You know what I'm saying. Yeah. And I guess like the point I'm trying to make is more that like even. People will often mono, make a monolith out of blackness, yeah. and very equally will do the same thing to whiteness. I, like that's fair. we yeah. think it's all the same thing, but I think the point I was trying to make too was in the sense of danger. Was that some of these white people were fucking dangerous? Like, do you get what I'm saying? Like, hey, that's the truth. That's and on some, because this isn't the fact that it's whiteness is just it's poverty just breeds danger. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? It, it pushes you towards certain circumstances. Mm-hmm. And when we look at like wealthier up suburban white folk who aren't living in the same places as the white people in Ohio, for yeah. example, there's a lot more security. Mm-hmm. There's a lot more sheltering. Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm saying? So just being unaccustomed to that danger just makes it cool. Mm-hmm. You know yeah. what I'm saying? For sure, yeah. No, there's a, um, there's a theory called Afro-pessimism. I don't know if you've read it. Nah, nah, By Frank Wilderson III. Um, and he wrote this sort of like memoir theory book. And he makes this argument that like blackness exists on the edge of humanity. 
Ooh. Right. So like the way the only reason that non-black people and I think he's specific about like black people versus everybody else. He's like non-black people, including white people, um, they can be human because black people are not to them. So black people are the edge of humanity to the point where we separate them from like animals. They're they're at the bottom of the pecking order. Type yes. Shit. And, and it allows oh, them crazy. to do things to black people that they can still be human, but it allows them to test what their own humanity would be without them having to um, really, really consider what that experience is. Wow. That's it's, crazy. it's a really intense theory. And like I went through a whole phase when I was really into it. And I was like, how useful is this to me to consider myself not human? Um, but it, I mean, it's more about like how other people view black people more than it is it's about black people internalizing it. But it's more observational than it is judgmental. Right. Yeah, and it, I mean, it's an interesting theory to have in your back pocket when no. you have these kind of conversations. But that's I think that's real, and this is what I talk about when I say yo social constructs are not like constructed because I don't think chickens like construct their own constructs about the hierarchy. Yeah, and the but chicken world. The thing is though, but and I was not crazy, but. Chickens also, the reason why we say the expression pecking order yeah. is because chickens literally have a pecking order. So they have a construct. They, they, they don't, it's not like they're aware of it. They but didn't make it, but it exists. They, There's they, a natural order that exists. They participate in this thing. Where, and, and this is literally what you just described. Yeah. The, the chicken at the bottom of the pecking order is yeah. physically abused mm-hmm. by the other chickens. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, this is a hierarchical like structure implemented and practiced yeah. by chickens. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And we just level that shit up to like slavery and genocide. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Sure. Yeah. So is that like a human, is it the human construct is eventually going to resort to violence? <sighs> you know, are we all prone to violence in that way? I mean, I think we are, but <clears throat> yeah. we don't have to go there. Can we go back to the writing? <laughs> 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 I didn't study enough like philosophy to really know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Tell me, cause because mm, we as humans we're projecting. We are projecting. There is a bit of projecting that goes on, right? Huh. So, but this is what I mean, though, in terms of like I think we're always just interpreting reality. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like because an animal's behavior is still like an objective fact. Like, That's true. If an animal is gonna behave the way it behaves, regardless of whether we're watching it or not, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? So like you're right in some sense. We're like, yo, we might damn well be projecting, mm-hmm. but like, and this is why I find. I don't know. Interpretation is funny business mm-hmm. because half of what you're doing is like putting the pieces together, and the other half of what you're doing is just trying to grab the pieces. Yeah. You get what I'm saying? You're simultaneously trying to create this objective analysis yeah. from a subjective framework. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you are a subject, and your framework. It's particular to you. Yeah. Even if the world isn't. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is that like the physics thing where, like, um, Dave was talking about it, where it's like observing the thing changes the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there's just no way we could ever objectively experience the thing without changing it. Exactly, exactly. As soon as you look at a a, a particle. Right, um, the waves move. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, something like that. Physics 101 or whatever, yeah. And this is why, I I don't know if I said it on the podcast, but, yeah, we need to teach more physics. I agree. Um... And I think, and this is why I hate academia. I don't hate academia. I shouldn't say that. I might, I may or may not go. Academics into always say that I hate academia. Yeah, <laughs> I might go into it. <laughs> not one to day. call you out or nothing. Yeah, good luck, right? <laughs> um, but fuck, I forgot what I was gonna say. Um, physics. We need more physics. A lot of higher education makes so much knowledge seem inaccessible. Yeah. I sat in astronomy class. Yeah. For for three months. 
And I'm like, yo, we could actually teach this to children. Yeah. Not the hard math. I was doing like actual math problems, and that's I'm like, crazy. I'm, right. It's like the inter- it's like the one for humanities majors and shit. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's the one I took too. I could I couldn't do real physics. Yeah. Man. I didn't. I low key wish I did because I'm like, wow. I, I'm a big ass nerd. Yeah. yeah. I, I just keep realizing that more and more every day. Um, and I love science. I wish I never forgot my love for science. That's how I feel too. I always say, once I write this novel, I'm gonna become like a physicist. Because I feel like so much of my brain is used processing my life that if I actually just understood myself, I could go into math and science. Fuck you know with, what I'm saying? You fuck with Octavia Butler? Yes. Yeah. Have you seen Kindred on Hulu? I have not seen Kindred oh on Hulu. Oh my God. Please. Well, have you seen it? Oh my God. Crazy. Yeah. Cra- we, we can talk about it later though. Anyway, sorry. You were talking about physics and why it's important. Yeah. No, no. Just sort of in general, man. Higher academics is very inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like, I don't think it's crazy to teach a child how like time works mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying like i don't know i had a friend who was like in the class and was like dude i just thought time was a social construct and i'm like uh and, and he said it was like because i could count it in my head yeah but i'm like the earth time the way we understand it the way we can understand it yeah because this is a weird thing it's outside of our experience Perception. yeah yeah and this is why i say yo consciousness fourth dimensional man you know what i'm saying it's time-based yeah um but it's like time, really all we're measuring with time is how fast something is moving through space. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that that's pretty much what it yeah. is. That's you know a very I mean? apt way to describe it, yeah. Yeah. No, but then, for sure. And then we get in that weird fact where it's like time flies in our head. Mm-hmm. So again, I'm just further creating this argument for, for consciousness as a fourth dimensional Yeah, for thing. sure. I mean, one thing that Nate taught me was... You know, we could talk about theory and we talk, me and Nate have this conversation all the time, like how inaccessible theory is, especially theory that could save people's lives and shit. You know what I'm saying? Especially in the hood. But it's like, you could talk about, I never took biology, but like your body is still works. Your body still works. Yeah. Like your, the biology in your body is still functioning. And so you know that information, your body knows it, even mm-hmm. if your mind doesn't comprehend it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So it's like this idea that like, we don't know things is wild because it's like, how do I not know it if my body is working? Yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, I'm a, an embodiment of that knowledge, even if it's not conscious to my, to my yeah. brain. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. You know? And the, it's like, how do you get people to connect that? The internal always comes it becomes external. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Um, like, I don't think the idea of manifestation has anything with to, to do with if you speak it, like, it's just going to show up. But yeah. more that you literally change your psychology mm-hmm. by speaking to yourself in a certain yeah, way right, you know right. what i'm saying and if you can if you become more confident internally like mm-hmm. people are going to see that in the way you walk mm-hmm. the way you carry yourself you know yeah. what i'm saying if you believe a certain idea like a religious idea for example yeah. it might show up just like maybe not when you walk in it's but, true you know what i mean yeah and i also feel like physics is a lot of the answers you know i always say like um, physics without poetry, no, physics without math is poetry. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of the things we say in poetry, it's like jumping steps. We're saying Yo. things that we're connecting ideas. But if you did the math out, that would that would be the you know the work yeah. that would prove it. Because that's what physics is. It's just proving everything and why it exists. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think on that note, like in the art, using creative in the artistic sense now, writing is actually a lot less creative than people think. You think so? Yeah, because there's like as as compared to let's say like painting or like designing yeah. clothes for example because like language itself is is logical yeah like i can't if i say um cat that oh i know that might actually come out right um i don't know it, it's one thing for me to just put a bunch of random words together yeah 
Um, but then it's another thing for me to phrase them in a sentence. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It requires a certain logical structure. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So the reason why I say I think writing is like, it's more analytical than I think people give it credit for sometimes. Yeah. Even creative writing. Yeah. Is because you have to essentially like, I think as you said, sort of, I don't know if you said this explicitly, but you're, yeah, actually you did, the scientist. Like you have yeah. to be a scientist because yeah. you have to essentially like interpret facts, deconstruct them, reconstruct them. Yeah. And like you just assemble a thesis. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? What makes it less science is that it's not necessarily, it might not necessarily be a concrete thesis. That's like it true. may not be that, um, a times B equals C squared, whatever the hell, right? <laughs> a, that, a squared plus B squared. The hypotenuse. Squared. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? The diagram theorem, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. And I think, I, it's interesting, that's what I'm learning in my novel class, because in my poetry, I can write whatever the fuck I want. Nobody's mm -hmm. checking it. It's self-published. Nobody's checking to see if it's good or not. I can make it do whatever I want, and I love poetry for that reason. Um, but in, in the novel class, like, I can write out a scene, and they can be plot holes. And if I give it to the rest of my class, like they'll sit there and be like, "Okay, I understand where you're going with it, but there's something missing." It's like they're solve. It's like they're trying to solve a math problem. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely a puzzle, and I think that's the challenge that I'm getting into. Is like, you know, even though it's based on something that did happen, how do I tell it in a way that it it fills in those holes yeah. um, that I've been trying to avoid filling in with my poetry and with my other uh, my other crafts? Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So for sure, it takes a little bit of discipline and you know, logic that I didn't want to apply before, but now I have to. Yeah, it, I, I felt the same way. And I, I my aversion to it ultimately had to do, again, with just, I felt like the association with yeah. intelligence and academia, that shit wasn't cool. Mm. You know what I'm saying? It was cooler to just be kind of free nilly, mm -hmm. like Mr. Creative, yeah. RT, farty pants. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Rather than like, trying to like plot, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like plan mm -hmm. an art project. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? And invalidate it and give it like, yeah, like write the little bio and make it relevant to other people. And mm -hmm. Yeah. For sure. How long have we been running, Jim? <laughs> huh? All in all, it was a fantastic chat. Thank you, Gladys, <laughs> yeah. um, for coming through and